Hello, and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. This is a podcast, as you know, we will study the Bible, the biblical covenant, and its deeper meanings, especially in today's times. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com because we would love to hear from you. So, do you have your Bibles ready? If you don't, please, you can go download one or even go to kingjamesbibleonline.org. It is free on your phone, tablet, or computer so you can follow along with tonight's study. So, what are we going to be uh, studying tonight? Well, we're going to continue on the, uh, what, what we had was the uh, seven phases of the circulatory system of the blood when it goes into the sanctuary. And I believe last week we left off with the uh, third uh, phase. And this evening, what we would like to do is go into the, the fourth phase. And we want to see what the fourth phase of the application of the blood would be. We found out that the first phase was the confessional phase. The second phase was the slaying of the animal phase. The third was the application uh, phase in which the blood was applied in the courtyard. But what we'll be dealing with today is the application phase uh, in the sanctuary. And so that's where we'll be centering our conversation is the blood in the sanctuary. Okay, that sounds awesome. Okay, so what we want to do to get started off here is to be able to look in the book of Leviticus. And in the book of Leviticus, we want to go to chapter 4, and we want to look at verses 5 and 5, 6, and 17. And then we're going to go to Exodus, and then we're going to go further in the book of uh, Leviticus. But let us start with uh, Leviticus chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, and it reads, in verse 5 it says, <clears throat> And the priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation, and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of the blood seven times before Jehovah, before the veil of the sanctuary. Now, what we see in this particular passage is that it's speaking particularly to the priests and what the priests should do, but it was a similar process for the congregation or the people. And we read this in verse number 17. It said, and the priest shall dip his finger in some of the blood and sprinkle it seven times before Yehoah, even before the veil. Okay, so thus far what we are reading is that when the blood went into the sanctuary after it had come from the outer court, is that it was sprinkled before the veil, okay? That was one of the places that it was sprinkled. Now, we want to turn to the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, we want to look at chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. And in the 30th chapter of Exodus, we want to look at verse number 10. So that's Exodus. Well, actually, we want to start with verse 7 and then 10. Exodus 30th chapter in verse 7. Okay. 
All right. Now, in verse 7, it says, And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresses the lamps. He shall burn incense upon it. And then we skip down to verse number 10. It says, And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generation. It is a most holy, it is most holy unto Jehovah. Okay, so what we see here is not only did they sprinkle the blood before the veil, but here we are told that when you got into the sanctuary, you had the golden altar of incense, and it had four horns, and they were also to put once a year, they were to put the blood on the four horns of the golden altar, and that's where they offered up the incense and the sweet fragrance. Okay. And now let us turn to back to the book of Leviticus. And this time in the book of Leviticus, we want to go to chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. And in the 16th chapter of Leviticus, we want to look at a couple of verses there. Okay, that's Leviticus 16, and we want to look at verses 14 and 15. Now here it reads in, in 14 and 15, it says, And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward, and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times and verse 15 says then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat so now here we see in this particular uh passage is that the blood was the blood was being sprinkled upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat and as we look at that uh, it has a lot of meaning so as we deal with the uh, the fourth phase of the blood as it is being applied in the sanctuary tabernacle, we are looking at the application, the application phase in the sanctuary. In other words, the blood can only be of an importance and significance in the life of the sinner as it is making an application. So in these texts, they point out three uh, places or, or three items in the sanctuary tabernacle where the blood of the sacrifice was, was applied. And the three places were the veil, the golden altar of incense, and the mercy seat. Now, when, when the priest made an application of the blood in these areas, he carried a, it carried a certain significance. So let us look at these three areas of which the blood 
sprinkled or touched. We'll start with the veil and then we'll go to the golden altar and then to the Ark of the Covenant where the mercy seat was. So we'll be looking at the blood and the veil, the blood and the veil. Now the blood that was sprinkled on the veil which separated the holy from the most holy apartment of the tabernacle was done every day, including the Day of Atonement. Therefore, we could draw the conclusion that quite a bit of blood had accumulated on the veil throughout the course of that year. By Elohim's year being 360 days, this would mean that 360 days were given to the forgiveness of sin, and one day was given to the cleansing of the sins. So what we're looking at here is simply this, is that for 360 days, whenever they brought the sin, sinful blood into the sanctuary, it, it accumulated all of that time. But on the Day of Atonement, it was a, be a day of cleansing of the blood. And as they would cleanse it, it would be a cleaning away of sin. So what we see here is that they were to sp sprinkle this blood every day before the veil. And on the Day of Atonement, they were also to sprinkle the blood before the veil, even though on that particular day, they would also be getting rid of that blood. Now the next item of, <clears throat> of which the blood was applied to was the altar of incense. So let us briefly examine this application of the blood. Now when we, are, when, when we go into the sanctuary, <clears throat> it had two apartments. One of the apartments was called the holy place. And in the holy place, you had three items of furniture. And if you go in from the east facing the west, on your right-hand side, you would see a table of what they call showbread or table of the presence. And, the general, and it had 12 loaves of bread on that table. And then when you look to the left, you would see a seven-branch lampstand, which they call the menorah. And when you looked at the menorah, it had seven branches. And on top of each branch, you would have a lampstand. But if you look straight forward when you went into the sanctuary, you would see a golden altar, and it had incense on it, and it would be burning. And a sweet fragrance would come up and go over the veil that separated the holy from the most holy place. And so when you look at the veil, then uh, it was where the golden altar of incense was. It was right before that veil. And I understand that that veil was about 18 feet tall. And when the priests would go in, they would put incense on the alt the golden altar of incense, and he would have in his censer some coals 
to put on the altar to make sure that the fire didn't go out so they can always be able to put that incense on the live coals to give a sweet fragrance to go up over the veil into the presence of the most holy place. So the blood and the golden altar of incense had a significance as well. This golden altar of incense had four horns, similarly as did the brazen altar in the courtyard of the sanctuary. Unlike the veil that separated the holy and the most holy place of the tabernacle and had blood applied to it all year round, the four horns on the golden altar was given an application of blood only once a year on the 10th day of the seventh month of Tishri, which was the Day of Atonement. So you see, while the veil received blood 360 days, that the altar with the four horns, which was the golden altar, it was blood was only put on there once in a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement, only once a year. Okay. Now let us look at the next application found in the most holy places of the second apartment. It is here that the priest sprinkled the blood with his finger seven times on the east side and upon the mercy seat, which was on the Ark of the Covenant. So when we look at the various pieces of furniture in the most holy place that was separated by the veil, there was only one particular item there, and that was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, when Moses was instructed to make the Ark of the Covenant, it had uh, four corners, and then on the four corners, uh, you... Well, well, with the four, you, it had four corners, but uh, it uh, it had a lid that went on the top of this uh, of the Ark of the Covenant. It was like a golden box, and it had a lid on the top of it. And around the edge of the golden box or the Ark was was a crown shaped uh, trimming around the entire. Ark of the Covenant looked like a crown. And then when you get up over the crown, they had a lid that fitted over the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And on both ends of the covenant, you had what you call the covering cherubims. They were two angels, one on each end of the Ark of the Covenant. And between the covering cherubs, they had their wings that was reached up in the air and they would touch one another and the other wing was protruded over to the southern wall and one of the wings touched the northern wall. And so what you were looking at is that those two angels that were over the Ark of the Covenant, they had between them what you call the Shekinah and the Shekinah the Shekinah was a light 
and that light represented Elohim himself. And this is one of the reasons why they call it the most holy place because Elohim himself was symbolized by the Shekinah glory to represent him. So they call it the most holy place. Whereas when you went into the holy place, it was only the holy place. But when we got into the most holy place, it made it most holy because Elohim himself was represented by the Shekinah glory. So what we see here is that the blood and the golden ark of the covenant. So when the blood was sprinkled seven times before and upon the mercy seat upon the ark of the covenant, this was done only once in a year. And when the blood was sprinkled before and on the mercy seat, it was done in the presence of angels known as the covering cherubs who were on both ends of the mercy seat between that great light that we refer to as the Shekinah glory. Now, now at this juxtaposition, let us examine some of the significance of the blood being applied in these areas upon the items of which we have just mentioned. Now let us turn to Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17. Okay, now when we look in Leviticus chapter 17, we want to look at a few verses here. Now, in Leviticus chapter 17, the first verse we want to look at is uh, verse number 4. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 4. Now, here it says, and, and bringeth it, well, let's back up a little bit, verse 3. It said, what man soever there be of the house of Israel, that killeth an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, that killeth it out of the camp and bringeth it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer an offering unto Jehovah before the tabernacle of Jehovah. Blood shall be imputed unto that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. Okay, so it was a certain place that they had to come with the sacrifice uh, and to deal with his blood. And he said that if they didn't, they would be cut off. Okay, but we want to go further in this chapter. And it says in verse 11, let's go to verse 11, Leviticus 17, 11. It said, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that make it an atonement for the soul. So here we see that the Bible teaches us that the life, the life of the animal or the life of man is in the blood. That's where the life is, is in the blood. So when we consider the fact that life, we are told, is in the blood, therefore blood represents life. So symbolically, when we talk about the life or the blood, we are saying it represents life. That's what blood is. It represents life. The life of the blood determines what type of life the blood represents. 
If one lives a righteous life, it is pure blood. If one lives a sinful life, it is impure blood. And lastly, the blood is a record of our life. Let's look at these three factors, the life, the lifestyle, and the record. Now, all three of these factors are taking place simultaneously together. However, we isolate them to be able to see how each functions contributes to the blood. Okay. So we want to look at the blood function. What, are, what is the blood functioning as? Okay. The blood functions first and foremost to supply the repentant with life. In the sanctuary ministry, when a person came to the priest with a sacrifice, there were two types of blood being represented, which were the blood of the repentant and the blood of the sacrifice in which the repentant brought. Now, of such blood as we have, the type of life in the blood is determined by the lifestyle that is being portrayed. So let's look at the lifestyle of the repentant and that of the sacrifice in which the repentant brought. So this is where we uh, draw a distinction between uh, the blood. Okay. So when we talk about the blood, we're talking about the life. And when we talk about the life, we're talking about the lifestyle. So let us see how the lifestyle of the repentant and the lifestyle of the animal sacrifice. Okay, now when we look at the life, the repentance lifestyle, for the mere fact that the repentant brought with him a sacrifice is indicative of the fact that the repentant has sinned. Okay. That was the whole reason of bringing a sacrifice, because the repentant sinned. Now, if the repentant has sinned, this would make him a sinner. If one lives a life of sin, then the life is a sinful lifestyle. Therefore, if the life is sinful, the blood is sinful. Now, let's look at the sacrificial lifestyle. When the repentant brought the appropriate animal sacrifice, which was to be without blemish, such an animal represented a pure, innocent, righteous animal, which symbolizes a pure and holy and righteous lifestyle. So if the life is pure, then the blood is pure. Therefore, if the life is righteous, the blood is righteous. Okay. So, whatever the blood type is whatever the blood or the lifestyle of the person is. So, whatever the blood type is, be it righteous or sinful, the blood keeps a record of the lifestyle of one's life. 
Therefore, when the blood is placed in the sanctuary, it is a witness to the lifestyle we live, and it is a record of the same. So when we look at the blood, the blood is telling us what type of lifestyle is being lived, and it's telling us a record of that life. So what we see here basically here is that the life of the lamb, which was the ransom for the repentant, was a pure life. And so therefore the blood was a pure blood. Now the thing that we must keep in mind is that the pure blood has been given to the repentant from the sacrifice and the impure blood has been given to the sacrifice from the repentant. And this would mean that all of the blood taken into the tabernacle was polluted. It was polluted blood, which would be a record of the sinful life of the repentant. And on the Day of Atonement, it was this blood, there was a record of the sinful life. It was this blood that showed a sinful lifestyle. It was this blood that they were going to do away with on the Day of Atonement. So as we, as we looked in, in the application uh, of, of the blood, as we looked at the application of this blood, it was uh, given... Uh, in the courtyard when they made an application. And then we see applications that are made in the sanctuary itself. So what we are doing, we are seeing that for 360 days, a record was being made of the lifestyle of the life that people lived that was sinful in the blood. And this blood was taken into the sanctuary. No pure blood was taken into the sanctuary. Why was that? Because when the sinner came and he exchanged life with the innocent lamb, the lamb gave the individual in type a pure life, and the repentant gave to the lamb an impure life. So therefore, when the priest extracted the blood from the lamb and went into the sanctuary, then all of it was impure blood. And what was that impure blood about? Well, when they put it before the veil, it was a record that this is the sinful blood of the repentant sinner. The repentant sinner now has the life, the pure life, and he goes away from the sanctuary pure, but he leaves his sin on the ransom who takes his sin and his blood, his lifestyle into the sanctuary as a witness. And when he put that blood there, and when the Shekinah glory of the mercy seat experiences the blood that was cast upon it, then they are getting the blood of the lamb, which is in pure blood, but it is a record of the fact that the sinner has now been redeemed and atoned for, and now we are giving evidence through the blood that yes, his life was sinful, but he took the pure life of the lamb. The lamb took his impure life, and now the lamb is saying, 
My blood has atoned for him. I have taken on his sins. And as the lamb took on his sins and his blood was cast around the sanctuary, it has a record of all of the sins that they, that the repentant had sinned during that whole entire year. And now that the sinful blood has been taken into the sanctuary, then now on the day of atonement, those sins that had accumulated for 360 days are now being forgiven. And not only are they being forgiven, but we are told that these sins will be done away with. They will be cleansed. Now, when we go to uh, the 16th chapter, the 16th chapter of Leviticus, here's what happened on the Day of Atonement. So when we go to our 16th chapter, and we want to start with uh, verse number 20, okay, Leviticus 16, and starting with verse 20, here it says, And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Now keep in mind that they had, they had two goats, one goat was for Jehovah, and the other was the scapegoat. Okay, so he is saying, and when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and he shall bring the live goat, you see. And we talked about how the blood was on the, uh, on the altar and all of that. And then in verse 21, it says, and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confessed over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. Okay, so what we are saying here is if you remember that when we discuss the blood application in the courtyard when they laid their hands upon the head of the animal sacrifice that was transferring their sins to the animal and the animal was transferring and typed his righteousness to the repentant okay so now they are saying that when the high priest came out of the sanctuary he now takes the lab goat and the lab goat is called a scapegoat because Jehovah's goat has already been killed to give his blood to the people who was coming to get repentance. But now that they have repented and all of their blood is gone into the sanctuary, now what the high priest does now, he takes the polluted blood, the sinful blood, and it says in verse 21, and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the goat. So just like they had to lay their heads upon lay, lay, lay their hands upon the head of their sacrifice in order to transfer the sins. Then after they did that and got their righteousness, now when Aaron on the day of atonement looks at all of the sins of what was accumulated in the sanctuary, what does he do? Well, he does the same thing. He takes 
the live goat and put both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confesses all of the iniquities of the children of Israel. Now, I want you to see the coronation here. This, the children of Israel have already confessed their sins. They confessed it upon that Jehovah's goat, and then that was taken into the sanctuary. So they are forgiven for all of their sins, and all of their sins are going to be done away with. But then all of those sins that have accumulated in the, in, in, in the sanctuary that represent sin, then Aaron now takes all of those sins for that entire year that the children of Israel has sinned. He's taken their sins that they, they put there on the, on, on, on the goat or the lamb. They take, he takes those sins. And when he takes those sins, then he put them on the live goat, which is a scapegoat, which is Satan or Azazel. Azazel was the scapegoat. And so all of Israel's sins that went into the sanctuary, which was a record of their sinful life, the record of their sinful life, of their sins, their iniquities, and all of that, have been confessed. But now Aaron takes all of their sins, and he confesses them over the head of the scapegoat. And when he does that, all of the sins of the sanctuary has been transferred to Azazel, the scapegoat, which is Satan. It says, and all the, their transgressions, in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man. Okay, so we, we, we're going to close on, on that note. Now, we have come to the fourth phase of the circulatory uh, system of the blood, and that was in the sanctuary itself. And then we got three more phases, and I think, at our next discourse, we should be able to cover these other three phases. But now we open it up for questions or observations or some of the things that you may have some insights on. So we are open it up at this time. So it's interesting, uh, the sins that basically uh, Satan, how can I say, uh, that he gets us to commit that when we repent and the our sins are put onto the goat, it's like the sins that we have committed that come from him are placed back on him. Yeah, I think you stated it right. It's right. In other words, uh, they are recycled back to the one who gave them to us. We recycle them back to him. Now, that's why. Mm -hmm, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. That's why it's so important that we, we, we repent, you know, uh, and as we repent, uh, then that means we get rid of the sins and then the, the sin goes back to the one who gave it to us. Okay. Now, uh, in regards to Leviticus, uh, 17 and three and four, mm -hmm. where it states that if a man was to kill an ox, a lamb or a goat in the camp and that it kills it out of the camp that he must bring it to the tabernacle? Yeah. Uh, in other words, uh, the question that you're raising is a very important question. Uh, uh, we'll be getting, we, we're, 
not that this exact question we'll be dealing with in the future, but we'll be dealing with this in the sanctuary. But let me let me point out this for for for, for the sake of understanding the question that you 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 are asking. In other words, uh, they said in verse number four that they must bring it to the door uh, of the tabernacle of the congregation. Okay, let's understand what the door of the tabernacle of the congregation is. Now, remember when ancient Israel was in the wilderness and they erected a sanctuary at the instructions of Moses who had been given the blueprint of how to build a sanctuary. And I think sometimes uh, when we deal with salvation, uh, sometimes we overlook at least two things. Mm -hmm. We overlook the, uh, the, uh, the direction of salvation and we overlook the position of salvation. Now, what I mean by the direction is that there were certain things uh, in the sanctuary, like the door of the gate of the congregation of the, uh, of the sanctuary, which is in verse 4. Mm -hmm. It was located in the eastern part of the sanctuary. That was where you came in through the entrance, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, when you came in through that entrance of the door of the sanctuary, the first piece of furniture that you would see, the first piece, it would stare you right in the face. Matter of fact, it is one of the largest pieces of furniture in the entire sanctuary. And that was the brazen altar of burnt offerings where the sacrifice was put on and burned. So what Elohim is saying is that he positioned the sanctuary a certain place. Okay. And, uh, and when we get into a, and when we get into the antitype of these things, you're going to see it a lot more vivid than what I'm, I'm saying here, but I'm answering your question. So, in other words, that, that altar of sacrifice that was located there mm -hmm. is where they had to offer the sacrifice. They couldn't offer it any, any other place. Okay. Okay, well, let me just in interject just a little bit more. Okay. In other words, he is saying to them that I built a sanctuary, and the sanctuary is the place that you have to come for your sins. Mm -hmm. You just can't go to your brother's house or go to the next door neighbor's tent or somewhere and just offer the sacrifice. He says, I do things in a particular way. I have a direction I want you to go into, and I have a, a place that I have designated for you to go to. This is why when he told Abraham, he said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, I want you to offer him in the mountain that I show you. Don't you offer him in any type of mountain. You have to take him to the mountain that I show you. Mm -hmm. And so when we learn to give the sacrifice in the place in which he is designated, then it can be accepted. But he said, I cannot accept it if it's not in the place that I'm, I'm giving it. Okay. Now, the, the one other question I have is to, what is the significance of the sprinkling of the blood seven times? Okay, uh, that's a good question, too. Now we'll probably be we'll probably be getting in, into to that uh, a, a little more. It's a lot of symbolism. Uh, one of the things about the seven, and you you'll probably pick this up more in the Book of Revelation uh, than you do here. Mm -hmm. It speaks about seven. Seven is considered the perfect number, and so Elohim, in a way, is saying to us when the blood is sprinkled seven times then you got to complete blood. You got to complete sacrifice, sac the complete sacrificial blood. Okay. 
Now, when you deal with the completeness of seven, it is saying that when you got that seven-fold sprinkling, you got a complete atonement, okay? Mm. Now, when you look at uh, what they call the cross, even though we call it the uh, cross, many call it the the tree in which he was crucified on, okay? okay. Now, when you consider the uh, tree in which he was crucified on, then what 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 do you have? Okay, so let's look at it this way. You got when 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 you look at Yeshua when he died on the cross. Okay, and like I said, we'll be getting a little more into this. Okay, when he died on the cross, uh, we are told that they planted a crown of thorns on his head. Right. Yes. Okay, that's that's one uh, area that he was. Uh, his body, flesh was torn into. Okay, and then on his left hand, they had a they had a spike. That's two, and his right hand had a spike. That's three. His left foot had a spike, which is four, and his right foot had a spike, which is what? Five, right? Yes. Five. Okay, and then the Bible tells us that with his stripes that we are healed. And if you remember that they whipped him before he went to the crucifixion. So that means that his back back was beaten with stripes by that cat of nine tails that they whipped him with and his back was torn open. So that gave us what? Six. Six. And then when that that when that when that uh when that soldier took that spear and put it into his side, that was seven, right? Yes. Okay, so even in the wounds that he got, it was seven. So wow. he's saying this man died, and he was the perfect sacrifice. And when he was a perfect sacrifice, every area of our bodies that we could sin was represented by those seven areas, and he atoned for our entire being. So that is some of the symbolisms of what the seven mean. Wow, that is really deep. That is deep. And uh, the one other observation that I had was it's interesting that our sins are forgiven when they are sprinkled on, uh, I guess, sprinkled on the veil. Mm -hmm. And then once the veil is cleaned, they're wiped away. They're yeah, gone. That's, yeah, that's a very important point you brought out. That's, that's, very, that's very important. The reason why that's so important is because... What you are seeing is, is that, that as we have pointed out this evening, that that blood shows our lifestyle. But the thing about it is, it shows our record. Mm -hmm. See, and our record is 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 red red on that uh the, on the blood. Our whole entire sinful life is in that blood. That's a record of our sins. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, even though he has forgiven us those of those sins and taken them into the sanctuary, but he still have a record. Okay, so when he got that record, he is saying, all right, I've accumulated this record. You have accumulated this record all year long. I have forgiven you. He said, but now you don't have to even worry about these sins following you anymore because I'm going to get rid of them. And the way I'm going to get rid of them, I'm going to take them. I'm going to put them on the one who made you sin. Wow. And so, and so your, your, your life is clean. Huh. And when the devil look at you and say, well, Lord, that man sin, well, Lord said, <laughs> 
he he on the day of atonement, all his sins was forgiven. Hmm. He said he, he said, uh, my son has carried those sins, and then at the end of time, my son gonna put them sins back on you. But hmm. this man, it's nothing you can do with him because he's got his sins forgiven and done away with. When I look at him, I don't see him. Only thing I see is the pure life of the lamb or the pure life of the goat in his life. That's all I see because that's what he accepted and he gave up his sinful life. So he's, he's clear with me. Yeah, all the devil is thinking, man, I got to start back over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to start over there. Yeah. Well, can you uh, take us to the throne in prayer? Okay. Hello, and Father, we thank you again. We thank you most of all, O Heavenly Father, for the blood of Yeshua that covers our sins, O Heavenly Father, and eventually he'll do with every sin that we've committed. We thank you for such a loving Elohim who thought enough of us even before we sinned that he had a plan of salvation to be able to atone for us. And we, we just thank you for the great plan that you have given. And we pray and ask, Lord, for each listener that as they listen, that they can apply this to their lives and to know that they can be able to receive the redemption that is needed in order that their lives may be in harmony with your wishes, that when Yeshua the Messiah returns to this world, he'll find those whose lives have been cleansed by the blood of Yeshua the Messiah. Now, Father, until we meet again, we ask that you would go with each one of us and do for us that which is needed. Now, may Jehovah bless us and keep us. May his cause his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May he lift up his countenance upon us and give each one of us peace. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Well, that is our show for today. We want to encourage you to follow our podcast weekly. Feel free also to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com with your questions or comments. And as it states in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing word of truth. Until next week, listeners, shalom.